Welcome everyone to this Freshfield Brookhouse Derringer podcast on a topic of interest to many of our clients, namely, is Russia coming after the U.S. technology companies? This is a podcast that actually originated in Moscow, where our colleagues reached out to the Silicon Valley office to say, we think the landscape here is changing for our clients and we ought to give them a heads up. My name is Boris Feldman. Nevertheless, I'm not located in the Moscow office. I'm in the Silicon Valley, but I'm proud to welcome our colleagues. Dmitry Surikov is head of our dispute resolution practice in Russia. Alexei Yadikin is counsel in our dispute resolution practice in Moscow. And we're joined by an expert in the U.S. on many related sanctions and export control issues. That's Stephanie Brown Cripps, who's based in our New York office. Welcome to all of you. I want to start with Dimitri. What do you view as driving current tensions between the United States and Russia? And how are those tensions affecting U.S. business in general in U.S. technology companies in particular. Thank you, Boris. It's difficult to say this in broad terms, but to simplify things, I would say that people tend to like to control things or to keep things under control. Same with the state. Russian state wants to keep things under control. And by things here, I mean information flows. It has been a long history of fight between independent media in Russia and the state. And uh, it looks like that currently the state is winning. But there is an issue here, which is that some big tech companies or some areas in which they operate are similar to a certain extent to how media companies operate. And what's happening is that the state is trying to get control over information flows which go via these sources. New regulations, new laws are being issued to put this information under control. There is some resistance, of course, coming from uh, big tech because these companies are used to more flexibility, to more transparency, etc., etc. But this is not the direction in which we are currently moving here. Unfortunately, we are moving in a slightly different direction, which is control over pretty much everything. I want to get into some of the particular new laws that you flagged for our clients on how Russia may be targeting U.S. technology companies and which companies fall within the scope of those laws. Dimitri, let's start with you. Talk to us about content moderation. Right. Content moderation is um, exactly linked with the issue I raised just now, which is um, information moderation, basically. New laws, new regulations allows the state, specifically a data regulator, to require that certain content should be withdrawn from circulation or certain content should be unblocked. Even though this content may contradict Google, YouTube or Twitter internal policies. Who in Russia 
is making those decisions about blocking or unblocking content. And I don't mean who ultimately has the political power, but for, for our U.S. clients who encounter a, a directive related to that, where is the directive coming from and whom do they deal with on that in Russia? It's um main source of these directions, of these requests, is the same body I just mentioned, data regulator. I think that was created specifically to put control over these kind of informations. This may be supported by prosecutors. If it's not immediately enforced by uh, one of the companies, then it could be supported by a court. This request may be relaunched by a prosecutor. So there are plenty of ways how these requests may be enforced. But basically the source is Russian data regulator. Do you find that tech companies are advised to try to build a relationship with the Russian data regulator prior to a problem? Or is it better to stay away and, and sort of hope to go under the radar? I think it is inevitable that they should try to build relationships with the data regulator. Because the more requests they get, the, the more requests stay unnoticed by the big tech, so to say, the more tech companies drag themselves into troubles. Because fines under Russian regulations start with pretty insignificant amounts, but they may grow. And finally, Russian authorities could apply turnover fines, which may vary from 10% to 20% of the global turnover, not Russian subs turnover, but the global group turnover, which is a substantive amount. Our advice would be, of course, to try to speak with the data regulator. But there could be problems associated with this because big tech, they have internal policies which may not necessarily are in line with the Russian legislation or with the views of the data regulators. So the, the, there is this thin red line between trying to build relationships with the Russian data regulator and trying to stay in line with your policies. That's where magic starts. I'm going to come back to penalties in a minute, but I want to turn to other areas of regulation beside content regulation. Uh, Alexei, I've heard about something called a grounding bill. At first I thought in the U.S. that would mean when you plug something into the right kind of electrical outlet so that you ground it against lightning. Tell us about the Russian grounding bill. Well, it's a, a very new legislation. It's just been passed in the beginning of uh, July. It's a bill which introduces the requirement for foreign big tech to either start a local subsidiary or a branch, which will act as liaison with the Russian market, with the Russian regulators, which will be responsible for enforcing those uh, requests of the Russian data uh, regulator, which we just uh, discussed. So basically, the idea is to drag uh, the foreign companies into Russia to have them present on the ground as liaison and, of course, as target for regulatory action. And uh, that uh, applies to 
foreign big tech uh, internet platforms, uh, which have a daily audience of over half a million users in Russia, which actually includes quite many names. And uh, that's not only a request to get localized and to get this local registration, that also includes compliance with a host of requirements under Russian law, which actually pre-existed and have been already applied even before this new law, including those requests uh, or requirements to remove sensitive content at the request of the data regulator. Under this uh, new legislation, as well as under the pre-existing suit of rules, there are quite significant sanctions, quite significant fines, quite significant consequences for non-compliance. They range from blocking of access to those resources from Russia to slowing down of traffic, which are both uh, pre-existing measures. But also this includes uh, new measures such as blocking of uh, money transfers from the Russian users, uh, blocking of advertising of those resources in Russia and the blocking uh, of their advertising activities aimed at the Russian market. So basically the idea of that new law is uh, really to, to potentially target the economic base of the business of those entities in Russia so long as they don't comply. We're going to come back to penalties in a minute because some of our listeners may be in their car stuck in traffic and not entirely focused. I want to underscore what you just said. Russia has just implemented a new requirement that technology companies in the U.S. have a physical local presence in the country. Is that right? Yes, this is right. Was there no such requirement prior to this month? No, there were other localization requirements which continue to apply, for example, localization of personal data of the Russian users. But this requirement for physical presence in Russia, that's new. How long do companies have to comply by establishing a physical presence? They need to do this before the 1st of January 2022. And does the statute provide any waivers or exceptions for companies that don't want to have a local presence in Russia, or is it absolute? No, it's absolute. This is, I try to stay out of personal opinions, but do you think that there are companies that will stop operations in Russia rather than establish that physical presence? Or do you think pretty much everyone will go along with it and comply? For each of those companies, the big names, there are, of course, uh, internal policies uh, and internal considerations which may be really of greater importance than compliance with this uh, new regulation. And uh, each company will have to decide for itself. For some of them, uh, it, it, it really depends on uh, how strict uh, their policies are on this. And, of course, how important the Russian market and the Russian users and the Russian advertising is for them. I guess for some, the calculus may be that it's really not worth, uh, not, not worth complying or it creates some dangerous precedent doing so because then Russia may not be unique in introducing such uh, requirements. While for some others, the optimal solution will be to really comply and continue business as usual. 
So just to be clear, there's no requirement that the company have someone named Boris resident at the office in Russia, correct? There is certainly no particular requirement about having someone called Boris. Okay, I was just checking. Uh, we've talked about two types of concerns. One is content moderation and one is grounding. You mentioned in passing data localization. Can you talk about that requirement and where it either is or is headed? Yeah, that is not new or innovative. It's, it has been around for quite some time. Under Russian law, there is a very strict approach to personal data, and personal data is uh, really a very wide category of data from which individuals may be identifiable. Under Russian law, there is a requirement for foreign companies processing or storing that personal data to do that using servers in Russia. And there is a liability attached to this. And uh, those requests to localize personal data have been made to many quite important and uh, very, uh, very well known and respected foreign big tech companies. I don't think it has been viewed by them so far as highly controversial. And uh, reportedly, many of, of those companies complied as they have to comply and to confirm compliance to the Russian data regulator. Around the world, sometimes smaller technology companies try to leverage nationalism to get an advantage vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. technology companies. Is there any requirement related to local apps from Russia that affect U.S. tech companies? Oh, yes, there is. We've uh, had a new legislation which obliges the manufacturers or sellers uh, of smartphones and tablets to install a number of Russian programs, Russian apps. For example, starting from August this year, each uh, new smartphone uh, marketed in Russia will need to have a number of uh, pre-installed Russian programs, for example, uh, maps or uh, search engines, some others, there is actually, there, there is quite a list. All of them have foreign competition, foreign analogous foreign uh, apps and programs, but the, the requirement is to have those Russian-made programs installed. Does that apply to computers as well or only to phones and tablets? There is also a more limited uh, requirement in respect of computers. The final area I want to talk about before we get into penalties. Uh, in the U.S., there's a lot of debate about encryption and how strong it can be and whether there need to be backdoors for the law enforcement authorities to use. Is encryption an issue in Russia? It is. Uh, we had a new anti-terrorism legislation which requires software companies which use encrypted uh, software to submit the keys or submit the source codes to the Russian security service. There was an issue about one of such programs, Telegram, which uh, was required by the Russian authorities to submit the keys. Actually, it refused. It was fined for uh, refusing to provide that information, but apparently they did not comply. But that may equally apply to, to, to others. Okay, before we go to New York, to Stephanie, 
I want to talk for a minute about penalties. And I want to begin by asking, you told us that now our clients are going to have to have a physical presence in Russia for certain platforms. Do you think that the employees of those companies face potential imprisonment for non-compliance with the requirements you've outlined? Or is this more an issue of money, not jail? That's uh, certainly not a question of jail, as I see it. Because uh, under Russian law, criminal liability is is only personal. And uh, to basically imprisonment, is, it's, it's a criminal law sanction, which may only apply to the implicated individual for as, as a sanction for committing a criminal offense. And uh, although those new pieces of legislation are quite strict and far-reaching, what they do not do is they do not introduce criminal liability for violation of those data rules. Uh, of course, law enforcement authorities can accuse those people present on the ground of some other wrongdoing or even a crime, but that would be unrelated. So, as uh, basically, for someone just to be acting as a, as a local officer for liaison with the Russian data regulator, that in itself doesn't pose any immediate criminal liability risk for such a person. Our listeners just breathed a sigh of relief. Given that you've taken jail off the table, what are the penalties for a non-Russian tech company that does not comply with the various requirements that Dimitri and you have talked about? So the, the short point is that for individual violations, like non-compliance with a particular specific request of the data regulator, the uh, responsible companies potentially face quite insignificant fines that may, be, may reach millions of rubles, but not dollars. What's frightening is that there is a new escalation fine for so-called repeated uh, non-compliance or repeated violation, which might, for example, for some, depending on the type of contact which was not removed, may really reach up to 10% or even for some grounds 20% of the global revenue or the global turnover uh, of the non-compliant company. This has never been applied so far. And uh, of course, uh, it would be really a huge escalation for the Russian state to try and uh, enforce such a massive fine on a global company. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible. Dmitry, talk to me about the fine issue. In my opinion, very logical approach which we're facing now. It's like in one of the movies, the main character told that in order to be successful, you have to be the first, be smarter or cheat. <laughs> Big tech, they are obviously smarter than anybody else. And they are first in a way. And truth is that Russian state so far needs them. And this explains why turnover fines are not yet applicable. There are Russian companies which are, so to say, under construction. These are genius companies, but they are not yet comparable with any of the big tech. And thus, as long as Russian state needs big tech, there will be no turnover fines, I assume. 
But again, it's just a matter of time until local companies grow and uh, make themselves competitive with the big tech. It's like a cold war in a way where each, <laughs> sorry for this comparison, but where each country has, has a weapon, but try not to apply it because it's in a way extremely harmful. So I guess you're saying that turnover funds are the mutual assured destruction of the tech world. In addition to fines, Alexei, are there other operating penalties that the Russian government can impose for non-compliance? Yeah, there are. Under the pre-existing legislation before this new grounding bill, there was already a, a suit of, of measures available in addition to fines, which included potential slowing down of the traffic, which actually has been applied by the Russian state against one of the big tech companies. Later, this has been discontinued. But this can still apply. In addition to that, uh, under the grounding bill, there are potential additional uh, measures which are designed to undermine the cash flow or the economics of doing this internet business distantly in Russia, which includes blocking of advertising, blocking of money transfers, also includes some limitations on delivery of the references to this to the offending resource in search engines and some more. We're going to come back at the end in a few minutes to pick Dmitry and Alexei's brain on whether this is just a hypothetical scenario or whether it could really happen. But first, I want to go to New York, sometimes known as Moscow on the Hudson, to Stephanie Brown Cripps, our expert on the U.S. reaction to this. Stephanie, welcome. How is the U.S. responding to tech companies' concerns about what Dmitry and Alexei just told you is happening real-time in Russia? There are uh, a number of ways the U.S. is responding, but the key way is sanctions. The U.S. application of sanctions to Russia goes even more broadly than the concerns that have been outlined on this podcast and goes into concerns about election interference, misinformation, hacking, and ransomware attacks. In mid-April, the U.S., government expanded its sanctions targeting Russia. And a key point that really is going to impact tech companies is that the U.S. has expanded the types of persons and the types of activities that can be targeted by sanctions and is also working alongside allies to coordinate sanctions designations among countries to make it in a way a tighter net of sanctions. And under these new and updated U.S. sanctions, Anyone who's operating in the technology or defense sectors of the Russian economy can be targeted. So this is really the first time that the Russian technology sector has been specifically targeted by U.S. sanctions. However, it's worth noting that for now, the Russian technology firms that have been added to the U.S. sanctions list, with the result, of course, that U.S. persons, U.S. companies can't have any dealings with these sanctioned entities, all of these Russian technology firms have been associated with Russian state intelligence or military activities. So a number of people have been added to the U.S. sanctions list in this last round of sanctions. In addition to six Russian tech companies, 32 people have been added for allegedly attempting to influence the 2020 U.S. presidential election, and eight 
entities and individuals have been added in connection with activities concerning the Crimea region. And these Crimea sanctions have been imposed in coordination with the EU, the UK, Australia, and Canada. So what the the Biden administration is trying to do is strike a balance between having a a stable and, and a predictable relationship with Russia and taking decisive action against cyber attacks and, and other malign activities. How do you think, Stephanie, that the U.S. measures that you've just described are affecting our U.S.-based clients? So U.S. businesses, uh, as a result of these expanded sanctions, are going to really need to keep an eye on sanctions lists to make sure that the U.S. businesses don't have any dealings with sanctioned persons. At the moment, the newly sanctioned people don't seem to be individuals or entities that have any close ties with international business in the same way that people will recall that the 2017 Russia sanctions designations really did have an impact on on Western markets and on business with Russia. This could always change, though, and new names can be added, especially since now the, the tech sector of the Russian economy is a potential target. So if a U.S. company has business in Russia, it will be particularly important to keep close tabs on sanctions and, and to stay away from any sanctioned persons or even to stay away from entities that are 50% or more owned by sanctioned persons. That's actually one way that that the sanctions can bring in legitimate individuals, individuals that aren't necessarily themselves targeted by sanctions. The sanctions don't just target the bad actors, they also target the entities that are owned by them. So what we've been seeing is, is increased concern among clients with Russian investments and Russian operations that counterparties, co-investors, or others might be targeted by sanctions in the future. And we've really seen this translate into pushes for contractual protections and other protections in the case that sanctions are imposed. Okay, Stephanie, thank you. That's very helpful. What can U.S. companies do to navigate? You've talked about the U.S. sanctions, and Dimitri and Alexei have told us about all these new requirements that just kicked in in Russia Do you think that our U.S.-based clients can expect any help from the U.S. government in dealing with this? It's a really good question. On the sanction side, it can be possible to get help. It can be possible to reach out to OFAC and the other regulators with concerns or for guidance or, or for licenses in some cases. I'd say the main step on the U.S. side that the company should be taking is carefully considering their sanctions compliance procedures, basically making sure that that someone or a team of people is focused on monitoring changes to the sanctions and assessing possible exposure when things change. So people just need to really be focused on what might happen next, who might be added to the list, and should be ready to either make changes or reach out to the regulator if, um, if one of those future designations uh, happens to impact them and their business. I want to close by asking each of you to become a fortune teller. If this were a corporate disclosure, we'd have the safe harbor warning about future information and actual results could differ. But I want to start with Dimitri and go to each of you. Over the next year to two years, how do you see Russia's intensified interest 
in the U.S. tech giants playing out? Dimitri? Sorry for using this analogy, but it reminds me of a war between the state and uh, the big tech, and it's just starting out. And uh, I'm afraid that American big tech should expect more pressure to come from the state, and the state will try to test big tech ability to negotiate, to cooperate, and to obey. Alexia, I want you to take Dimitri's pessimism, and I want you to try to give us a scenario. Assume that he's right, and this is going to become more of a problem for U.S. companies, not less. Give us a scenario that you think might be plausible for how the trouble begins and how it plays out. One is actually what we already see happening is a situation of uh, repeated requests by the Russian data regulator to one and the same big tech company to remove sensitive content, which the allegation being that it, it violates Russian law. We've seen that that may continue, that may escalate into numerous fines and requests. It, it may escalate into a mini war uh, uh, with a company which does not comply. And that well may be a way, as Dmitry described, to really test test the waters and see, see how, how those companies react. What we may also see, and what will be interesting to see actually, is the compliance and enforcement of this new grounding bill. Because again, basically they will form uh, the group of compliant citizens who don't want trouble and want to comply with, with all of those regulations and who will get registered, who will keep active liaison with, uh, with the data regulator and will probably stay out of trouble. And we may also see the opposite. I would definitely not expect a total campaign by the state against this whole sector on indiscriminately and on a wide basis, because essentially the state has no interest in that, in, in, in my view. But we can definitely see some test case or test cases under this new law, because the state is serious about it. It's, it, it's really a, a law which, was, which has its, its very clear purpose, it, uh, we, uh, which aligns very well with uh, all the previous restrictions and measures in this sector. And uh, there is really no reason to expect that the state will stay away from enforcing its own new legislation. So we'll see, in case of non-compliance, how it plays out. You know, right now, regulators, both in the U.S., in the EU, around the world, are very tough on our tech clients. Do you think that if the scenarios that Dimitri and Alexei have laid out come to pass. Do you think that the governments in the EU, in Europe, in the US, are going to stand up on behalf of tech in dealing with Russia? Or are they gonna stay out of it because they have similar issues and will tell the tech companies they're on their own? Unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did. But I could see, just based on what we've seen in other contexts with other countries and in, when other actors have tried to regulate in a pretty extreme way, 
the activities of certain sectors, I could see the U.S. and and possibly others coming to the side of the tech companies and, and trying to take actions that oppose those measures or that go against those measures. And it is certainly within the realm of possibility that the U.S. sanctions regulators might come up with a, a way to counteract some of the more expansive steps that, that the Russian government is taking here and, uh, and come to the side of U.S. tech companies to, to help them comply on the U.S. side. So I want to thank all three of you. The obvious takeaway in my mind is for our clients in the U.S., possibly our clients in the U.K. and the EU, their legal and policy teams need to have a discussion now about what do we want to do in Russia? How important a market is that for us? What restrictions on content are we able to live with and which are we not able to live with? I don't think that Russia has been as high on the radar screen of some of our clients as other countries and other regulators. But what I take away from the three of you today is probably needs to be elevated on their list of issues to talk through together. Thank you all for joining us and thank you to our clients and friends for listening in. Take care.